Hey, South Bend City Church, Mariah here, the Director of Art and Worship. In this weekend's gatherings, we entered into week four of our series, Jesus Stories. But before we get there, I wanted to update you on a few things happening in the life of our community. First is just a reminder that this coming weekend, August 20th, is our Sabbath Sunday. This means that we will not be meeting in person and there will not be a podcast. This Sabbath Sunday allows our volunteers and our community to rest and to engage in practices of rest however they see fit. All that to say, please don't show up in person and don't be expecting a podcast because it's not going to come this weekend, August 20th. We will, however, be back August 27th with Meredith Miller. We're super excited to have her speak not only in our gatherings, but to offer a parenting workshop. If you're responsible for kiddos, whether that means your parents, grandparents, family members, guardians, whatever that means, we have a workshop to speak to questions around how to talk to our kids about faith. We know it can be complicated, and Meredith has done some really incredible work in this. If you want to register, go to the link in the show notes below. The registration includes a copy of Meredith's new book, as well as lunch. There is child care provided that's a separate registration, but it's all in the link below. We would love to have you join us, both for our gathering and for the workshop if you're around. Like I said, this is week four of our Jesus Stories series, and we're super excited to have Dr. Mallory Wyckoff with us this weekend. Matt will introduce her in a bit. But this weekend, we explored Luke 13, 10 through 17, and we read a story about a synagogue leader's criticism of a woman being healed on the Sabbath. This weekend, we had the opportunity to imaginatively engage the text, and we also had the opportunity to find ourselves in the story and sense an invitation to healing being extended to us, including our own critical parts, so that every system, internal and external, can be set free. It was a really special morning and excited to jump into that in a bit. At the end of our gatherings this weekend, we entered into the practice of Eucharist. As always, anyone who wants to be at the table with Jesus is welcome to be at the table with Jesus. So if you're listening to this and want to jump in in that practice when we get there, make sure to have some form of cracker or bread and some form of juice or wine with you. And when Mallory says the words, the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you, know that she is speaking that over you as well. As always, if you consider South Bend City Church to be your home, you can give financially. It's through your generosity that we're able to do what we do, and we're so thankful for the ways in which you show up. Along those lines, in the spirit of vulnerability and transparency, we wanted to make sure that we offered one more update in the life of our community, our quarterly financial update. So I'm going to turn it over to Matt Graybill, who shared this quarterly financial update in our gatherings this weekend. Once again, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for being a part of our community. Let's join in with the rest of our community now. A financial update. Um, We uh, have committed to, for a while now, giving some quarterly financial updates as a way of transparency and being able to share uh, where we're at. Far too many of us have been a part of church spaces where finances have been mishandled or funds have not been directed where they need to go, and we do not want to be that community. We want to be transparent with the money that you give. Um, We want to be transparent about where that goes. Uh, And so we want to give financial updates. You can always ask questions along the way. You can email info at South Bend City Church. You can grab me after the gathering. But I want to share uh, a quarterly update. So we shifted our fiscal year to June to July. So we just finished the fiscal year. So here's a few few numbers. Um, General fund giving, uh, just wrapping up this fiscal year, came in at 734,147. Our budget expenditures were 745,236. 
and then our actual expenditures were 758,514. So you might see some gaps there. A couple of notes on those gaps. Last year, uh, at this time, we were sharing some painful news that our giving um, had decreased quite a bit, so much so that we needed to make cuts uh, in all three areas of our, our budget, which is ministry, operations, and personnel. And we had to make the painful decision to actually lay off two full-time staff, Ryan and Amanda. Because of that decision, we really wanted to honor them in their transition and provide for them. So for three months, we took care of them uh, with their salary, but also with their benefits. And so that's why the actual expenditures are actually higher than um, uh, what was given, but also our budgeted expenditures. Um, so we created a new 10-month uh, 10 or 9-month budget uh, to be able to address that. So. That's kind of over the course of last year. I want to share this last quarter because I think it paints a different picture. Um, general fund giving in this last quarter was 185,577. Our expenditures were 181,071. So, so it's great to see then. And our actual expenditures were 170,979. So we really believe that we've right-sized the budget going into this next budgeted year. Our budget that we're looking at for this this coming fiscal year is 725,000. Um, a year and a half ago, it was 850,000. What we've seen is that's actually been a national trend for churches and non nonprofits um, in terms of a decrease in giving. And so I just wanna say thank you for those of you that give and for your generosity, not only for your financial generosity, but um, needing to make that painful decision to be able to uh, trim a lot of costs and staffing uh, has actually caused us to actually need more of your help from a time perspective as well. So thanks for those of you that have stepped in and served in so many areas to make the life of our church uh, function. I know these are big numbers, but I want to remind you that every little gift counts. Even just this last week, as our kids were going through the mantra series and doing some artwork, thinking about a paintbrush in a kid's hand or in a volunteer's hand makes such a big difference. So every dollar really means something. A couple other numbers to throw your way. Uh, total giving year to date was over a million, uh, 1,477,262. Uh, that includes things like the Tribune Project, our future home care. Uh, we don't often talk about those care stories just because we're not wanting to highlight uh, people's pain and crossroads in life, but we need to be able to help with like medical bills and housing. Um, and this community has really gone such a long way to be able to care for one another. So I want to say thank you for that. And then a couple other numbers uh, to put at you. The total number of donors year to date is 354. Um, those that give to our general fund, which kind of make our life happen as a community is 258. And 108 of those are new donors, which we're super grateful. On any given weekend, we average a little over 300 people that are uh, showing up on the weekend. So we just think that's really great that so many people in this community are plugged in, both giving of their time and their resources and their energy. We could not do what we do without you. So that's the number side. Uh, Today, as I mentioned, we're going to be continuing this series on Jesus stories, and we'll also be able to participate in communion or Eucharist or the Lord's table. And if you're new with us, you might be wondering, oh, what does that practice look like here? Uh, and for us, it's very simple. Anybody who wants to be at the table with Jesus is welcome to be at the table with Jesus. And so we want to 
take away any restrictions that you have. And if you want to participate, you're welcome to participate. We even try to make it possible for people to participate if they have some type of allergy. So the bread is gluten-free, nut-free, dairy-free. There might be a trace of egg. Um, there's definitely no taste. Um, so you can participate that way. And then the, the juice is just juice. And what that will look like is Mallory will invite servers to come up. Uh, and then they'll go to one of the three tables. And then you're invited to join, go up to the table. Simply hold out your hand and a piece of bread will be given to you. And then you can just take a step to the right, place the bread into the juice, um, and you can participate that way. So that'll be a little bit later in our gathering. But first, we'll get a chance to hear from Dr. Mallory Wyckoff. I'm super excited to hear her speak. Mallory is uh, a teacher, communicator, preacher. She's also an author. She wrote a book called, great book called God Is, uh, and a company podcast, too, that I would highly recommend. You can pick up the book after the gathering. Um, Mallory steps into spiritual direction, but then also works with a group of peacemakers, which is one of the largest organizations on peacemaking um, around. And so I would just encourage you to give a warm welcome here as we invite Mallory to communicate with us today. Hi, friends. It's good to be back with you. I was sharing with the first service, remembering the last, well, the first time slash last time I was here was in December. It was a lot colder. My Florida body was struggling. So I'm doing a lot better with the sunshine. Though I have to say, I'm confused that the sun is shining here and you all draw the shades to keep it out. Like you don't know what to do with it now that it's here. So that's weird for me. We could talk about that later. But I am really pleased to get to be with you again, particularly in a uh, warmer time. Thank you for having me here, it's, a, it's an honor. Before I get to a point of sharing any of my thoughts on the text that we're gonna engage this morning, I wanna give you a space to be able to engage it first. And we're gonna do so through the use of our imaginations. For some of you, as soon as you hear me say that word, you're feeling a little bit of resistance, uh, maybe some negative connotations towards your imagination, or maybe you're just like, I don't know how to do that, haven't done that since I was little, or maybe it's, it's dangerous, whatever it may be. Uh, as much as you are able and willing, I'm going to encourage you to enter into the time in the imaginative space. One of the beautiful things about being there is that there is not an option for right and wrong. There is just what is. We are simply exploring the text, allowing it to unfold in our mind and our heart as it does, and then attending to whatever comes up, holding it with curiosity and exploring it. So that will be the spirit with which we engage this text now imaginatively. So, if it feels safe and comfortable, I'm going to invite you to close your eyes. And in just a moment, I'm going to read this text from Luke 13. And as I do, I will encourage you to see it again unfold in your mind. Watch the story play out. Engage it with your senses. What do you see? What do you hear? What do you notice? What do you smell? Simply enter into the story fully and imaginatively 
and notice whatever comes. This first time that I read the text through, I'm gonna invite you to pay particular attention to who in the story you identify with or where you find yourself in the story and why. Who or where are you in this story? Now Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, there are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it to water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things being done by him. Again, sense into who or where you are in this story and hold some curiosity around it. If your eyes are closed, I'll invite you to open them and gently return your attention to this space. So what I want to do is invite you to share what you noticed as far as who or where you are in this story. So in just a moment, I will open it up and give us give a chance for a few of us to just simply name in a phrase or a sentence who or where you are in this story. You'll see me taking notes on what you shared, not attaching names to it or passing this out to anybody, but simply because I want to return to it in a few minutes together. So, in a phrase or a sentence, who or where are you in this story? You can just raise your hand.
if I heard you correctly, you connect with the woman and being thankful for the experience of healing. Okay. Connecting with the sense of healing, emotional, as well as letting go, of, letting go of patterns that are crippling. Yes. So you identify with letting go of fear and anxiety, trusting God is with you. Connected with the crowd that was rejoicing over the... Here and then here. You're wondering about timing, whether it's appropriate or... Okay. Wondering about timing, what's appropriate or inappropriate. Feeling connected to the woman who has felt stuck for 18 years and longing for some type of release. Couple others. Um, I thought about the um, about tradition and how tradition has crippled people from possibly healing. Thinking about tradition and how it can actually prevent us from experiencing healing. One or two more. Connecting with Jesus and wondering what it must have felt like to be helping someone and be criticized for it. Connecting with the courage of the woman who asks for help and curious about why today. Okay, last one. So related to being an observer in the story and particularly observing feels like ridiculousness to tell God what God cannot do. Okay. Okay. I'm going to read it again. This time we'll hold out a different prompt. 
And that one is, what do you resist? Where do you sense any point of resistance within you to anything in the story? Once again, if it feels safe and comfortable, I invite you to close your eyes. I'll read the text. Again, enter into it imaginatively, noticing for any point of resistance. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And just then, there appeared a woman with the spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, there are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it to water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things being done by him. Sense into wherever you find that place of resistance and hold some curiosity around it. Your eyes are closed, open them, gently return your attention to this space. And again, I'm gonna invite you to name in a phrase or a sentence, what did you resist? With a reminder, there is not a right or wrong here, there is just what is, simply whatever you notice. So, what did you resist? Why 18 years? the vulnerability of asking for help. You're resisting their placing of others like the animal's value over her, particularly in her pain. Resisting other people's pain. 
Yeah, so resistance to things not being done the right way. Yes. Uh, seeing this through modern eyes, I'm wondering what's the connection between the spirit and being bent over. Okay. Uh, two more here. Go ahead. The desire to shut down the critics herself instead of letting Jesus do it. Resisting that Jesus can do things for you. Resisting that feeling of being in the middle, seeing the different perspectives people have on them. Okay, I'm going to read the text one more time, and this time, I'm going to invite you to hold out this prompt. What do you find yourself longing for? As you engage this story, what do you find yourself longing for? If you'd like, you can close your eyes, and I'll read it one last time. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And just then, there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, there are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it to water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things being done by him. Sense into that place of longing that you feel in this story and hold some curiosity around it.
If your eyes are closed, you can open them and gently return your attention to this space. Okay, this time I'm gonna invite you to share whatever it is that you find yourself longing for in this story, in a phrase or a sentence. Longing for healing to be set free. Longing for more people to take the chance to go to Jesus to experience the healing that he offers. More peace. Sorry? People to see God. Human compassion. Longing for no one to be put to shame, but everyone live in compassion. Is there another? Grace and understanding, yeah. Grace and understanding for the teacher. Grace and understanding for the leader of the synagogue in the story. Couple more. What are you longing for? Got two here. Changes in the systems and changes in hearts. Ability to speak truth in the face of adversity. How can such a healing happen with a simple touch? Last one. People to see that there is hope for their ailments in Jesus. Thank you. As I now turn to share a few of my thoughts and reflections on this text, I'm going to invite you to continue to hold out what you've just engaged here, the points of connection, where you find yourself, the longing you sense, the resistance that you feel. Continue to hold that out as I share a few thoughts here. A few days ago, While trying to get some work done, I overheard 
a tense conversation. I have this idea for a new project, the woman said, and I really want to start creating it. She seemed to be slightly shaking, not from a lack of confidence, but rather a surge of energy that made her skin feel electric. Slowly, a bit shyly, she began to narrate the idea, a stirring she'd been sensing and was discovering language for. To hear her express this creative inspiration was compelling. I felt my own chest rise up to expand and make space for the kind of possibilities she imagined. But just as soon as she began to articulate the dream, as much to herself as to her friend, the friend cut her off. Are you kidding me? Who are you to be able to do that? She demanded. You have ideas all the time and you never see them through. There's no way you could figure out how to make that happen, how to get from A to B. And even if you could, do you honestly think anyone is interested in what you have to say? What if you try and fail, fall flat on your face? You really wanna risk that? Please don't tell me you're actually considering this. Slowly, the woman's shoulders began to sink. Stunned, saddened, she lowered her gaze. Mere seconds before, she'd been brimming with energy and possibility, but now she stood motionless, seemingly stuck in a haze. She stared at the floor. You're right, she said. I shouldn't have even brought it up. This was a wildly uncomfortable, nauseating exchange to witness, one that left me feeling as though I myself were caught in the middle of the conversation because, in fact, I was. The exchange was not happening outside of me, it was happening in my own head. A swirling of voices and competing interests warring on the battlefield of my brain, leaving a messy and chaotic scene. I'm betting you've witnessed similar conversations within yourself. An idea starts forming within. A dream keeps you up at night. A longing pulls at your insides. A hope swells in your chest. You begin to feel alive to possibilities of things you want to create or adventure you want to take or relationship you want to pursue or the dream you want to chase. You think of the steps you need to take the difficult conversation you need to have, the doors you need to knock on, and just as soon as you begin to catch sight of the requisite courage and clarity, the tapes begin to play. You can't do this. You're nobody. 
she will never love you. He's better than you deserve. You can't trust anybody else. No one cares about your art. You'll always be let down. This is all there is. If you were to risk telling someone you were hearing voices, they might be alarmed, but the truth is that's exactly what's happening. Just as you begin to imagine a more beautiful world for yourself, parts of you rise up in protest, telling you to sit down, keep quiet, stay small. Maybe you're all too familiar with these kinds of internal conversations among the various parts of yourself, something like watching a Seinfeld rerun for the 40th time where you can recite the lines before the actors do. Or maybe you can't quite make out what the voices are saying. You just feel as though you could drown in the pool of anxiety their sound opens up within you. In the midst of one such internal battle, anxiety surging and parts conflicting, I read a story about Jesus healing a woman in a synagogue. Watching it unfold in my mind, I find myself sitting off to the side, close enough to observe, but far enough to not get caught up in it. Quietly, but intently, I observe Jesus speaking to those gathered, teaching them about the kingdom of God and his fulfillment of promises long foretold. The worshipers seem intrigued, if not a bit uneasy. This man speaks with such authority, such conviction about things that which one must not be flippant. Suddenly, a woman appears, seemingly out of nowhere. Was she there all along? Did she just stumble into focus? Either way, Jesus takes immediate notice. How could you not? She's hunched all the way over as if she's looking for a lost coin on the tiles, only she never stands back upright. The curve of her spine fixed in time like a fossilized plant. How painful this must be for her. I can't make out her age, but I have a sense that the parabolic posture falsely denotes years not yet lived. Jesus says something to her, though I cannot hear what, and I notice the slightest stirring of her limbs. I'm a ways off from the pair, but there's no mistaking the look of care in his eyes, a kindness so rare it is arresting. Just then, he gently places his hands on her shoulders 
And in an instant, she's rising up, eyes slowly moving up towards the ceiling, one vertebra at a time like they teach you to do in yoga. I blink once or twice to make certain I've seen what I think I've just seen, but there's not much time for my skepticism because now she's singing and dancing, arms extended in the air like her ancestors have been raised from the dead and she's welcoming them home. She grabs Jesus' hands in hers, the ones that have just righted her world as the two hold one another's gaze like they know something no one else around them does. Amazed, I inch closer, wanting to be let in on the joyous scene, when suddenly a loud voice cuts through the celebratory air like a knife to a balloon. All of you, listen here. This is not the way it's done. Who do you think you are? Come on any other day to the synagogue if you're looking for healing, but not today, not the Sabbath. Have some decency. Those gathered begin speaking in hushed tones, afraid to make a misstep. They know the rules, after all. Maybe they got carried away in all the excitement. But Jesus is having none of it. The woman's healer now becomes her advocate, facing down the synagogue leader who's just addressed the crowd to crying what's happened. I hear Jesus speaking about a release from bondage, a loosing of what has been bound, and I recall the same teacher's words echoing in a synagogue some weeks ago, articulating what spirit was on him to do. I look to the woman whose shoulders are squared for the first time in 18 years. I look to the synagogue leader, still clearly miffed by what's taken place, his anger only furthered by Jesus' response. And I want to move closer so I can give him a piece of my mind. How dare he speak this way? How dare he critique what's happened here? This woman's body is now aligned in such a way that she can live and move freely, and he has the audacity to speak about keeping order? My blood pressure rises and my nostrils flare, and just as I ready to approach the man, I'm taken back to the battle scene in my own mind, the warring of parts within, and suddenly, I see it clearly. Of course he's disturbed. Of course he's agitated and restless and anxious. For years, his whole job has been to manage this synagogue and keep things in order, ensuring a proper way of believing, a way of being, a way of life. He's been tasked with protecting and preserving, monitoring all the moving parts of this place and keeping things as they are. And while he's on the clock, 
some itinerant teacher barges into his domain and begins to shake things up, breaking rules and putting everything at risk. So the man responds precisely as that critical part within me does because its job is the very same, to protect. When desires surge within and new ideas come onto the scene, it signals an alarm that the systems it's developed to ward off vulnerability and mitigate harm are being threatened. It tells me that to take up space or use my voice or write that book or pursue that dream risks the possibility of failing and feeling shame exposing that wounded part of me to yet another wound it may never recover from. Of course, the synagogue leader reacts as he does. Of course, the critical voice in me says what it says. They're both sensing threat to the systems they manage and the stakes could not feel higher. So just as Jesus placed his hands on the woman speaking words of life, I rest my own hand on my chest, sensing into the restless and frenetic energy it carries. I extend to myself the kind of compassion I witnessed in Jesus, offering a healing, calming touch to the part of me that's managed the show for decades, carrying a burden that exhausts. Maybe when Jesus spoke a word of healing to the woman, he was offering a word of healing to each of us. Maybe when he disrupted a static system prioritizing human dignity over procedural propriety, he was challenging us to recognize the systems, internal and external, that appear to be maintaining order, but in fact are perpetuating bondage. Maybe he's placing his hands on our shoulders even now inviting us to square them and stand up straight so we can see ourselves and one another clearly, participating in our own healing and that of creation. And maybe paying attention to that desire or longing or dream that keeps stirring within is the first step towards that very healing. As we prepare to participate in the practice of Eucharist, I want to welcome each of you to the table. Wherever you find yourself in the story, whatever you resist, whatever you are longing for, you are welcome to the table. Welcome to the table, you who are feeling thankful for healing you who are letting go of patterns that have been crippling, 
you who are letting go of fear and anxiety, you who find yourself as part of the crowd rejoicing, you wondering about timing, what's appropriate when. Welcome to the table, you who have felt stuck for 18 years, longing for release. You who think about traditions that can be crippling and prevent us from healing. You who seek to help and not be criticized for it. You who sense the courage of the woman to ask for help and wondering about today is the day. You who sense into the ridiculousness of telling God what God cannot do. You welcome to the table, you who experience the vulnerability of asking for help. You who resist placing value over human beings, particularly in their pain. Welcome to the table, you who resist other people's pain. You who wonder with modern eyes and sensibilities about the spiritual realities of this story. Welcome to the table, you who want to believe that Christ can do things for you. Welcome, you who feel caught up in the middle, seeing all sides and perspectives. Welcome to the table, you who are longing for healing, to be set free for more peace, for people to see God. Welcome to the table, you who are longing for more grace and understanding, for changes in systems and in hearts. You who long for the ability to speak truth in the face of adversity. You who are curious about healing with the act of simple touch. Welcome to the table, you who long for no one to be put to shame, for everyone to live in compassion. As the volunteers come forward, would you join me in a prayer? Oh God, in the midst of the various points of resistance and longing, wherever we find ourselves, we encounter you as one who sees us, who knows our experience of bondage, be it internal or external, one who steps in and brings healing, inviting us to participate in that healing for ourselves and for all of creation. In the taking of this bread and cup, may we be able to taste and sense a glimpse of that type of healing and wholeness. On Jesus' final night with his disciples, he shared a meal with them. While they were eating, he took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, 
he gave it to them, and all of them drank from it. He said to them, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many. The bread of life for all who need healing, the cup of compassion for a world being made whole. Body of Christ broken for you, blood of Christ shed for you. As we finish our time together this morning, we're going to sing a song that we sang at the beginning. So if you're able and willing, would you stand and join us as we sing? words of blessing. Wherever you find yourself in whatever story, whatever you sense resistance to or longing for, may you find yourself seen and noticed by God. May you encounter the healing from every kind of bondage that you and our world encounter. May we go out rejoicing for our experience of it. May we participate in it so that no one would be put to shame, but all are led by compassion for themselves and for one another. Grace and peace to you.